The most wonderful time of the year is absolutely here. March Madness. Oh, yeah, we're all going to have our brackets and we're going to have our office pools, and that's fine. But don't you want to bet on these games? Of course you do. I don't have a bookie, Zabe. I, I don't know where to bet on them. Oh, yeah, you do. Mybookie.ag. That's your bookie. Sitting at your office desk thinking, oh, I'm already out of my tournament pool. No, no, no. You're never out of anything with my bookie and the tournament. Bet the next game. Bet whatever you want. Look for an upset. Look for value. Lay some points. This takes March Madness to a whole new level. Of course, we're still going to do all the traditional stuff, but now bet on the games directly. They've been in business for years, my bookie, and they're growing like wildfire. The best part is they pay out fast. So when you call that 12 over 5 upset, don't just walk with your sheet around the office saying, look, I called it. Show them your cash that you got at mybookie.ag. MyBookie will match your deposit with a bonus if you use promo code ZABE at mybookie.ag. That's promo code ZABE to get your deposit bonus at mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid only at MyBookie. Today on the ZABEcast, who in their right mind watches two comic book movies at once getting drunk? This guy, who in their right mind takes a $21 million cap hit to get rid of the best wide receiver in football for a third and a fifth, the Steelers. Other topics include Marie Kondo, the Sony A7 III, stupid social media outrage, and Mark Zuckerberg's magic escape shoot. Bonus, 1% Zabe is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. <laughs> Here we go. Monday, March 11, 2019, thank you for downloading. One week from today is one of the great days. I want to say the best day. That's, that's a bit much. It's one of the great days in sports fandom, certainly sports radio. It can get a bit tedious, and I will try not to be that way one week from today, but one week from today... Come on and watch some basketball. The brackets are out, and we will, be, we will be filling out our pool sheets one week from today. And yes, the Gargantu bracket is coming out again, courtesy of my man Brad Turner, the inventor and the statistician behind the Gargantu bracket. Maybe not statistician, the Excel spreadsheet addition. There you go, fixed it, of the Gargantu bracket. Okay, let's get into this Antonio Brown thing right off the bat. When I woke up Sunday, late by the way, and yes, I was able, I didn't wake up late because of daylight savings. I woke up late because I was up late watching, get this, I was watching both Avengers Infinity War and Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice, I think that's the title. They happen to be on back-to-back -back channels, and I was flipping between, it was Sci-Fi Channel and I think TNT. And so I put that on the main screen. I had a replay of the golf tournament on screen right. I had ESPN with college basketball screen left. And I'm watching, and I'm flipping between the two of them. Now, I'm not a big sci-fi kind of guy. I'm not a big, well, this is not sci-fi. It was on the sci-fi channel. I'm not a big comic book movie fan. 
I'm okay with them, but they have gone so far now and they're so deep into comic book nerdery and the movies are so chock full of CGI and absurd fight scene after absurd fight scene. I'm more like, you know, remember the first Iron Man? That was kind of cool because you're like, wow, okay, here's a new character, new superhero character, and he's got a cool-ass suit, and he can fly around in the suit, and he can do some pretty cool-ass things, but there's limitations on how cool he can be. First thing I noticed watching Avengers Infinity War was, oh, now Iron Man has this monster suit that makes him, oh, I don't know, 50 feet tall or seemingly, and he could have parts fly onto him from some other ship that was trailing him. So if he lost an arm with that big suit, it would just regenerate. And he's fighting the Incredible Hulk, and the Incredible Hulk is also not just the size of of Lou Ferrigno, like a huge man. He's a 30-foot Incredible Hulk who can knock down buildings, and they're flying, and they're jumping. Oh, God. But I'm watching. Then I flip over to Batman versus Superman. And my first thought was, why are they fighting? And don't answer that, nerds. I'm sure there's an explanation. And it has to do with the comic books and But I'm watching that, especially because Lois Lane played played by the incredible and one and only Amy Adams, who just has that thing about her. You look at the sum of Amy Adams' parts, and you say, short, at, you know, not not a smoking hot body per se, uh, but she's just got it. She's just sexy, just hot. I'm, I'm a sucker for redheads. Anyway, so I'm sitting there, and of course I had uh, a glass of brown, a glass of bourbon. Thank you, by the way, everyone who gave me positive feedback on Friday's bourbon special. And for those of you that don't drink bourbon and hate bourbon and skipped right over it, understood, but a lot of positive feedback. Thanks to Fred Minnick and Charge for being on. So I was polishing off the last of my Glen Roths on a Saturday night, and it was going down smooth, and I was getting a little drunker and a little drunker, and I keep flipping back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between the two movies. So whenever one movie would go into commercial, I'd flip the channel, and I'd go watch the other one. It didn't take long for me to start confusing. Wait, hold on. Wait, which one was this? Oh, and Scarlett Johansson as a redhead playing the character Black Widow with her black lycra action jumpsuit that just accentuates the curves. Oh, yes, sir. I'm watching the two of these movies, and it's just getting stupider and stupider all the time. And I'm having a hard time understanding the limitations of each character's superpowers. Not just the limitations, but also what can they do. And (laughs) Like Superman. Okay, Superman could crush Batman. He could kill Batman in a heartbeat. So why was it a big knockdown, drag out, punchy fight at the end? In one of the earlier scenes in the movie, Batman's all chained up and Superman comes in and there's two other bad guys or two other people with Batman chained up in a warehouse somewhere. 
And for whatever reason, Superman uses his red laser eyes and cuts the two other guys in half right in front of Batman. I store that away and later in the movie, I'm thinking, why is he fighting Batman? Just cut him in half with your laser eyes. But I digress. So I watched both movies flipping back and forth, drinking the rest of my bourbon. Next thing you know, and these movies went on for quite some time. Next thing you know, it's uh, it's like 1 a.m., 1.30. I'm drunk. I got to go to bed. Go to bed. Sleep through. I leave my phone uh, downstairs uh, in my office. Sleep through the sunrise coming up. Lose that extra hour. Finally, I'm awakened by a call to the house phone by my wife, who's at Sunday school with our daughter, and I usually come pick her up at 1030. I'm damn near sleeping through that. <laughs> but that's not, so the reason that I slept through was not because of the daylight savings change, all oh, the setting of the clocks. I hate that complaint. Did everyone get their clocks set ahead? Good. We're all set now. Had somebody on Twitter say, well, we shouldn't, we shouldn't move the clocks at all, and if you want to change your own day, you can just go ahead and be on your own sort of daylight savings time. To which I cocked my head sideways and thought, but how would that work? Softball games at 7. Oh, yeah, my, is that my 7 or your 7? Wait, which, which 7 are we using here? Time is just a construct. We shouldn't have any specific time. But then how will we meet? Anyhow. Hey, you going to get to Antonio Brown like you said? Yes, I'm getting to it. I wake up late, rush to go pick up my daughter, and then look at my phone while I'm out in the parking lot. Holy snap. Antonio Brown has been traded to the Raiders. And the Raiders give up a second and a third round pick. And scrolling, scrolling, where's the first round pick that has to be part of this? Maybe the first rounder is in 2020. Uh, Maybe there's another player involved in this one. Uh, They couldn't have gotten him for a, yeah, they got Antonio Brown for just a second and a fifth. Second and a fifth, second and a third. Hold on, I wrote it down. No, not even a second, a third and a fifth. This is insanity. This is one of the all-time fleecings ever in NFL history. And the Steelers have botched this unspeakably. Of course, people are going to throw at me and and others who don't like the trade or, or, or think the Raiders are getting some kind of damaged goods. He's 31 years old. That's too much money. He's a cancer. Oh, my God. One thing I've learned through the years when it comes to the NFL, fans love to worship number one picks. I like number one picks. I want as many number one picks as possible. But people worship draft picks a lot. Also, they pretend to know exactly how much a certain guy is worth in regards to the salary cap. I wouldn't pay him that much money. Hey, It's just money, and the salary cap is overblown to a certain extent. Yes, you have to manage it smartly. Yes, you have to stay under it. But eventually, 
all the players you thought were good and you paid a lot of money realize they don't make that much of a difference and you cut them, you eat the dead cap for whatever it's worth, and you move on. Well, the Steelers are going to eat the biggest dead cap pie in NFL free agency history, according to those reporting on this deal. $21 million the Steelers are going to have on their cap just to not have Antonio Brown. How? Why does this make any sense? No new years on the deal. He gets bumped up from 38 mil over the next three years to 50 mil. That's about 12 million more over the course of the deal, maybe more with incentives. He gets a raise of about four or five million dollars, and all the Raiders have to give up is a third and a fifth. You combine this with the Khalil Mack trade, where Mack was dealt for two number ones and more. Amari Cooper was dealt for a first, and you combine that with what they've done now. They've essentially given up Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper, a third and a fifth for Antonio Brown and one, one, one. Which would you rather have? Some say Khalil Mack. In fact, I saw a line in one of the stories about this that said, matter of factly, elite pass rushers are harder to find and more valuable than elite wide receivers. Elite pass rushers are more valuable than elite wide receivers. Show me your work on this. Because I don't know if you can say that for certain. I think you have to make a judgment. You have to make a guess. You have to, there's no formula for this. Elite Khalil Mack is an awesome player and affects the game on just about every snap he takes. But so does Antonio Brown. And while you can say, well, there's a lot more wide receivers that are kind of like Antonio Brown than there are edge rushers like Khalil Mack, I don't know about that. Antonio Brown's production has been insane over the last seven years. In fact, it's so off the charts that when I went to stare at it, I got a headache just looking at the numbers. He's averaged... 115 catches, 1,500 yards, and 11 touchdowns averaged in the last five years. Oh, that's going to drop off the cliff because he's about to be 31. Oh, my God, really? I don't think so. My Redskins, I looked this up the other day. We haven't had a 100-catch player in over 20 years, and then I just stopped looking. We haven't had a 10-touchdown-catching wide receiver in over 20 years, and I stopped looking. And here's Antonio Brown and his numbers, and they are off the charts. Production, 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 and the ability to make the spectacular catch, the miraculous catch, the amazing catch. But let's go back to this elite pass rushers are more valuable than wide receivers. Are they more valuable than every wide receiver? Are there some wide receivers who truly are the precious and the special? I think Antonio Brown is. In fact, I looked at Khalil Mack and his game logs. First of all, Khalil Mack did not make an impact against the Eagles. Should they have won that game? Of course they should have. They missed a field goal at the end. But still, Khalil Mack had five tackles, no sacks in that playoff game against the Eagles at Soldier Field. 
In the middle of the season this year, Khalil Mack had games in which he had two tackles, one tackle, no sacks in those two games. Then he missed two games with injury. Then he had a a good game against Detroit in an eight-point win with a couple of sacks and five or six tackles. And then he had another game in which he had two tackles and one sack. And then another game after that in which he had one tackle, no sacks. So over a seven-game stretch, Khalil Mack had uh, six games in which he had only six tackles, one sack, and missed two games. That's, I'm telling you, there's no gap in Antonio Brown's production that would equate to that. So I think this is an unbelievable home run deal for the Oakland Raiders, soon to be the Las Vegas Raiders. Let's talk about Pittsburgh and how they blew this thing. Yes, uh, Antonio Brown had become quite the pain in the ass as the season wore on. This is a normal condition for many of the game's top wide receivers. Sure, some of them are more straightforward and business-like. DeAndre Hopkins would be one of those guys right now. Larry Fitzgerald has been one for years. Don't hear a whole lot about Julio Jones in Atlanta. But Odell Beckham Jr. is pain in the ass. And the Giants are still in the Odell Beckham Jr. business. And they paid him money. I think Antonio Brown's way better than Odell Beckham Jr. Either way, the best wide receivers require care and feeding. And they also, if you're smart, should be ignored a lot. It's only when you get your panties up in a bunch that you make a bigger deal out of something than you should. The Big Ben situation in Pittsburgh has been simmering for some time. He is not that well-liked, as everyone knows, in that locker room. Mike Tomlin has been a simmering problem in Pittsburgh for some time now. He has been known as a player's coach who does not know how to handle his star players properly, to reel them in when they need it and to ignore stuff that should be ignored. And on top of all this, why does Art Rooney II, the operating owner of the team, why does he meet with Antonio Brown in the offseason and then amicably agree that they're going to part ways? Why would you do that? You should meet and say, look, I know you want to trade. I know you want to raise. We're not committing to anything right now, and we're not going to say we're committed to anything right now because it hurts our leverage to be able to deal you for the maximum assets, and we're not just going to give you away. And they should have told him that. They should have said, look, we'll work through this. Oh, but he called out Big Ben on Instagram or social media or whatever. Who cares? And if Big Ben's upset about it, say, Well, Ben, you're going to have to meet with Antonio and get on the same page. Besides, right now it's February. August is the next time you really have to worry about this with him. I'm sure by then a lot of water will have passed under the bridge of life and of football. We're not getting our panties in a wad about Instagram call-outs in February for a player who's the best wide receiver in football, won Zabe's Fantasy League for him and many others. And on top of all that, we're not going to take a $21 million dead cap hit just to trade him. But they did. And they they set a deadline. Friday's our deadline. 
And then Friday came and went. They had a deal with Buffalo, and then Antonio Brown nixed the deal with Buffalo. I don't know how they let that happen, but they did. It just, it was so poorly handled by Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh also, I think the best piece about this that I read is by Bill Barnwell, ESPN.com. Yes, the same Bill Barnwell that I said I had, I was rolling my eyes at and getting exhausted by regarding some of his tweets. But he's really good at researching and synthesizing and explaining the nuances of how deals get done in the NFL. He points out that part of the reason that this thing got out of whack with Antonio Brown is because the Steelers were able to sign Brown to an incredible contract after just his second year in the league. And I won't go through all the uh, nuances of it here, but the Steelers did a great job of keeping him and, and having him under market value for some time. And while they did renegotiate Antonio Brown's deal a couple of times, they renegotiated it in a way that was not as lucrative to Antonio Brown as it perhaps could have been. Well, is it the Steelers' fault for being smart? No. And in general, you should get the best players you can at the most team-friendly economics. But if it gets too far out of whack, and if a guy is as good as Antonio Brown, eventually he's going to act up and use his own leverage, which is wait until you see what kind of a pain in the ass I can be to force you into either giving me more money or trading me. And that's what happened. According to the new draft chart, the 66th and 141st picks, which is what the Raiders gave up to get Brown, come out to an equivalent of just a single 41st overall pick or a single second rounder in a typical draft by the Chase Stewart draft chart. The traditional Jimmy Johnson draft chart has them slightly higher as the 61st selection. So either way, it's a hell of a deal. And apparently my Redskins did get into the Antonio Brown discussion, according to reports, in the second wave after the Buffalo deal went south. I don't want Antonio Brown right now. I would love Antonio Brown. Like, let's say if the Redskins, let's say Alex Smith didn't get hurt and the Redskins had a chance to get Antonio Brown. Fuck, yes, I would be into it. But that didn't happen. Alex Smith got hurt. We have a huge cap burden for the next couple of years because of Alex Smith getting hurt. And I don't want to be good at all this year. I want to suck. So this would not have been the year to get Antonio Brown. But otherwise, yes, go and get a player like that. Which brings me to my other team of sorts, the Packers. The Packers apparently weren't in on the Antonio Brown thing at all. And I just thought, that's crazy. Get great players. Don't overthink it. Manage personalities and get stop sniffing your own armpits saying, we're not that kind of a team. We're not that kind of an organization. We don't want a first-year head coach to have to handle a strong personality like Antonio. Hey, you hired a coach. He's going to have to handle a lot of things. Don't you think you'd want to handle a great player who could make Aaron Rodgers look even more awesome? And what's the worst that could happen? What what in what is do you think Antonio Brown if he went to the Packers would pout about it? 
would be all like, oh, darn. I've got to go catch missiles from Aaron Rodgers. He'd be happy as a pig in mud for at least two years. Maybe it goes south after three. Who knows? What's the worst that could happen? How much disruption could he possibly make? And anyway, don't get your panties in a wad when these things happen. Don't let the pressure of the internet call out ESPN did a piece on Antonio Brown, and he said this, and he said that, and he went on LeBron's barbershop show. Who cares? If more NFL teams would shrug their shoulders and say, hey, we understand he's not happy, but you know what? We'll work on it when we report to camp in August. That would diffuse a lot of stuff because eventually the clamor dies down and life moves on. I'm calling it the Ralph Northam effect. Still our governor. (laughs) He's survived. Is there still calls for him to resign over the blackface scandal? No, because it was weeks ago. Nobody can sustain outrage beyond a certain point. Just like Antonio Brown couldn't sustain being a pain in the ass past a few weeks. Eventually, the media would have said, okay, nothing's going to happen here. Let's just move on. Which I'm going to move on right now. The most wonderful time of the year is absolutely here. March Madness. Oh, yeah, we're all going to have our brackets and we're going to have our office pools, and that's fine. But don't you want to bet on these games? Of course you do. I don't have a bookie, Zabe. I I don't know where to bet on them. Oh, yeah, you do. Mybookie.ag. That's your bookie. Sitting at your office desk thinking, I'm already out of my tournament pool. No, no, no. You're never out of anything with mybookie and the tournament. Bet the next game. Bet whatever you want. Look for an upset. Look for value. Lay some points. This takes March Madness to a whole new level. Of course, we're still going to do all the traditional stuff, but now bet on the games directly. They've been in business for years, my bookie, and they're growing like wildfire. The best part is they pay out fast. So when you call that 12 over 5 upset, don't just walk with your sheet around the office saying, look, I called it. Show them your cash that you got at mybookie.ag. MyBookie will match your deposit with a bonus if you use promo code ZABE at mybookie.ag. That's promo code ZABE to get your deposit bonus at mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid only at mybookie. It's nice when stupidity gets punished, and it's even nicer when the people being stupid have to crawl back to the side of sanity. That's the case with CBS, which announced that is going back to a more traditional show on Selection Sunday, not last year's abomination that managed to hit an all-time ratings low on TBS. You may remember last year they rolled out all the teams in alphabetical order, and then they told you where they were going to be in the brackets. They thought, oh, this is good. We'll make it longer. We can sell more advertising. The selection show earned an overnight rating of 1.6, down nearly half the viewers from 2017. Half, Eddie! It was one of the most mindless, stupid things. It really was, hey, here's one of the cherished things in American sports. Let's find out a way to ruin it. Ooh, I could do it alphabetically, then make people wait for the brackets. 
great idea. So this year, they're going to go back to a more traditional rollout saying, okay, here's the southeast or here's the east bracket. Don't mess with it, okay? It is the field of 68, which I still don't like. I wish it was 64. I'm a traditionalist. We don't need the play-in game. We don't need the extra first four. But if we can just keep it to this, it's okay. Imagine if they expanded to what some people want, which is double. More is better. No, more is not always better. At some point, there is a limit in which you say, okay, good. There was a coach I saw over the weekend, uh, the head coach at Southern Illinois, the Salukis. I guess he was resigning or maybe he'd been fired. Not only was he out, it sounds like he was never coaching again. He basically cried and said, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. He never made the tournament, lost in the conference championship game and didn't make the tournament. If they expanded to a 128, there's not going to be the drama of coaches crying and apologizing on a podium for never having made the tournament. Because it's hard to make the tournament and precious, that's what makes it so special. Belmont is on the bubble after not winning their conference championship. They're a very good team. And I hope they make the field of 64. I'm afraid that they may not because of strength of schedule and these new formulas. We have seen team after team after team, whether it's Loyola last year, make it to the final four, whether it's um, who else, Uh, you know, UMBC stunning a one seed. The college basketball earth has never been flatter in terms of which underdogs, which small schools, from podunk conferences can beat the big boys, especially the mediocre big boys that too often get thrown in there because of, you know, conference affiliation and they're spiffing out uh, those conferences that, you know, make the most money. It's a money thing, obviously. And the erroneous thought of, well, these guys have a better strength of schedule. Well, yeah, they play in a bigger league with uh, better teams. It doesn't mean, though, that in a one-and-done, a good mid-major or even less than mid-major can't be a major pain in the ass to one of these big schools. So hopefully Belmont makes it in and other Cinderella's do as well. And hopefully the asshat who decided to mess with the tournament selection show on TBS slash CBS... He, I hope he's been fired, hired again, refired on his birthday, fired a third time by calling his mom to get her on the phone to explain why did you produce such an idiotic son that would do something like this. You're fired again for the ninth time. Camera news. I know I said on my podcast a week ago I was selling my full-frame Sony a7 III. I said I was doing this because it's just too big and heavy and I was weighed down by all my camera equipment I brought to South Africa and I just realized it's it's too much. I thought, I'm not a professional photographer. I don't need this camera. I don't need these big, heavy, expensive lenses. So as I got ready to prep the old a7 III for eBay and get some glory shots of it, make sure I've got all the packaging together, And to stick with my A6500, the APS-C size sensor camera, I decided just before I do this, 
let me take one last look. Let me do a real side-by-side -side comparison of full-frame look versus APS-C sensor. Now, for you who are not photo nerds, this makes this this has probably no bearing on your life and you don't even understand what I'm talking about. Sensor size in photography is, in my mind, it's like penis size. Many people will say, oh, it doesn't matter. It really does. You can get great results either way. S results you can barely distinguish the difference between the two. Just like a woman might say, penis size is overrated. It's how you use it. It's the foreplay. It's everything else that goes into it. Oh, yeah, but penis size matters. That's why that guy, that diamond billionaire, died getting a penis enlargement procedure, had a heart attack at something like age 65, 73, something. He's a billionaire. He doesn't need a bigger penis, but he wanted one. Sensor size does make a difference in photography because a full-frame sensor does gather more light. It does offer you the creamier, shallower depth of field that just gives your photos that nice look. It gives a better dynamic range, as they say, better colors, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I thought, I, I can't tell the difference. I, I, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos, but I said, just for my own edification, let me go ahead and do some photo tests, some video tests, and just really pixel peep between the A7 III and my A6500. Son of a bitch. Every full frame picture I looked at, every full frame video, I just went, <gasps> it just made me feel better. It just, I can tell the difference. I, I know I can. I know I can. Something about a full frame shot, it definitely pops in my eyes. Of course, to most people who will look at these photos, mainly my family and my golf buddies and a few other people and you on Instagram and Twitter and, you know, if you go to zabe.com, if I post a few pictures, you're not going to notice the difference. But the problem is I know the difference. I can tell the difference. And it's like being a carpenter who has a nail that's a little bit crooked inside the corner, interior corner of some cabinet where you're never going to see it. You're never going to open it. No one would care. If you built that cabinet and you know it's there, oh, it's going to bug the shit out of you. Just like me living with an APS-C size sensor, I realized I will know that there is better imaging available if I had just kept my A7 III. And so, therefore, I'm all in. I'm a full-frame whore. I believe it makes a difference. I really, really do. And I'm happy. I'm excited about it. Now, once I get rid of the A6500 on eBay, then I'll have some more money to spend on expensive full-frame glass. But I won't have to carry around the APS-C size camera with their lenses the next time I travel somewhere. I'm going to be A7 III, the remarkable pocket Sony RX100 Mark VI, and my GoPro and my phone. That's it. Those four cameras right there, I can take pictures and videos of all the shit I ever want. It's all I need for now. Don't hold me to it. The internet is stupid and social media is evil. We know that. But these stories just keep on coming. 
and it's kind of sad that I'm going to give you these stories and also sad that Yahoo's webpage publishes stories about these kind of things. But I just have to mention these. Headline, Pink responds to Instagram commenter criticizing her for posting a family dinner. This actually was written originally by the Huffington Post, repurposed by Yahoo Entertainment. I only saw it because I was mindlessly scrolling my Yahoo homepage, where, of course, I go get my email, zabe at yahoo.com. I should just ignore the Yahoo homepage, but there is some things that do catch my eye. This caught my eye, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Pink defended her use of Instagram this week to promote healthy family activity after one social media commenter appeared to criticize the singer and actress for her hypocrisy. The photo said, at least twice a week on tour, we shut the door to the outside world and have a family dinner, said Pink, whose real name is Alicia Moore. Oh, I didn't know that, although I'm pretty sure I knew her name wasn't Pink with an exclamation point. As you can see, it makes Jameson feel deep, deep joy. This would be her son. As People reported, People Magazine reported, writes the Huffington Post, repurposed by Yahoo's homepage, Yahoo Entertainment, as People Magazine reported, an Instagram user commented on Pink's post, writing dot, 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 yeah, except it's posted on IG. Ooh, sick burn. Pink then responded to the comment, which I suppose made this now a newsworthy item, saying, yes, I like to promote healthy stuff. I also like to remind people to stop being total douchebags, too. Consider this your reminder, fucko. She put a star instead of the U, but I'm going to say it right here. Ooh, Pink is mad. You mad. I'm sure that generated a lot more back and forth nonsense. <laughs> but it's just so stupid. And then here's another one. Jenny Garth of 90210 fame stands up to trolls after being criticized for not posting tribute to Luke Perry. Apparently, she posted a picture of her daughters on International Women's Day. And people said, yeah, yeah, I guess you have nothing to say about Luke Perry dying, huh? Garth responded back saying, please don't assume or judge or make rude comments. That's really uncool. Garth previously told People Magazine that her heart is broken about Luke Perry's death. He meant so much to so many, such a very special person. I share my deep sadness with his family and all who loved him. So in other words, she did this to a magazine. She, Why would people assume that she doesn't give a shit about Luke Perry dying of a massive stroke at age 52 just because she didn't post on social media or Instagram. Oh, that's right, because people are mindless idiots. And I'm sorry for burdening, burdening you with three minutes of mindless dribble about this mindless dribble, but can we just make it stop already? Now, you make it stop, Baldy. Stop reading this shit. Okay. I'll try. At least don't mention it on the show here. Okay. I won't bring it up on the podcast again. David Irving is probably no longer going to play football again. The defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys was videotaped smoking a blunt 
and saying, quote, basically, guys, I quit. I'm out of here. I'm not doing this shit no more. Everyone questions my commitment to football, but let's not let's get it straight. I love football, but I don't love the NFL. The NFL is not football. Well, the NFL is uh, the best paying football around, but okay. Irving was suspended indefinitely on March 1st after violating the league's policy and uh, program for substances of abuse, of which marijuana is still on that list, despite the fact it's gaining legalization state by state across America. He says, because it's, excuse me, because it's bullshit how I have to have Xanax bars and hydros right next to me to take, given me, given to me by the NFL, of course. However, we can't smoke the same weed the staff itself smokes. The story here says Irving continues on to give more reasons and advocates for marijuana use for NFL players by pointing to other leagues and careers. Okay, well, I'm not saying he's wrong, but there probably are ways to, you know, supplement what you could get from smoking marijuana with other not-so-dangerous pain relievers. But even still... This is the best job you're ever going to have, David. This is the most money you're ever going to earn in your lifetime, David. This is when you've got to make hay while the sun shines, as my dad once said. This is where you got to kill it. You got to kill it financially. You got to hold on to it best you can because this is it. And I know you say you, you may say that you need marijuana to deal with whatever it is, pain, anxiety, etc. You may want to do it because you like it. You're going to have in a couple of years the rest of your life to do this. Seriously, man, let's let's rethink this here. Maybe he will, but man, I'm glad I don't smoke marijuana. It it must be so awesome. It must be so fun that you would throw away your career in a sport you claim to love, football, and throw away millions and millions of dollars because you just wanted to get high. What was that song? But then I got high. But then I got high. (laughs) Kids, don't start smoking this stuff. Become addicted in a way, not physically addicted, I know that. You'll become mentally addicted where you may throw away a career because you can't think about the thought of just not getting high. We'll end on this today, and it has been a solo Zabe Monday. I figure once a week I'll do a solo show. Many of you have said that you appreciate the solo shows. They're as enjoyable as it is when I have somebody on. Tuesday, I'm going. I'm scheduled to talk to my friend Timmy Murray, who is now doing a gambling show with Michael Jenkins of NBC Sports Washington. I love both men in a, you know, in a manly kind of way. Not that there's anything wrong with it if I loved him more than that. Uh, and I'm going to go travel on Monday to go uh, to their studio and talk to them about their gambling show and sports and life and give them shit and everything else. That'll be Tuesday. Then we'll have Andy. We'll have Jay. That brings us four days a week. And then we'll have Mr. X for Friday. That's the schedule for the week. Don't hold me to it, but that's the schedule. We'll end with this today, though. Mark Zuckerberg apparently has a secret panic shoot that leads to a parking garage 
underneath his Facebook conference room. I kid you not. Last year, the security plan for Zuckerberg and his family cost Facebook $10 million a year. This has new details about the billionaire's safeguarding emerge. This according to the uh, Sun newspaper in the UK. Business Insider revealed these panic shoot rumors when reporting on Zuckerberg's round-the-clock executive protection. More than 70 people now are protected by an executive security team at Facebook, which is led by former U.S. Secret Service Special Agent Jill Levins Jones. Due to his notoriety and having over 100 million followers on Facebook alone, Zuckerberg faces severe threats on a regular basis. They include threats to kill him numerous times a week and stalk... I'm, I'm not laughing, but you got to imagine what his account must look like. And stalkers who declare their undying love or maybe harbor dangerous vendettas against the billionaire. Zuckerberg actually works at a regular desk in an open floor plan at Facebook HQ, but is said to be always surrounded by undercover security who pose as software engineers. Well, that seems kind of inefficient. You should just give him a big office that's got three levels of security and uh, a helicopter, a helipad that he can flee on if he needs to. I'm just a regular worker. I'm out here with everybody else at a cubicle. But don't cross that guy who you think is Carl over in software engineering. No, no. He is a secret ninja who will cut your neck. If I just blink, go kill that guy. Zuckerberg also has access to a large glass-walled conference room that is near his desk. The conference room is already known to be bulletproof and features a panic button, but rumors among Facebook employees that it contains a panic chute have never actually been confirmed. Facebook has declined to comment on the potential escape route, but one source said it leads to the car park so the tech billionaire can be evacuated quickly. (laughs) Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg also has 24-7 protection due to similar threats and stalkers. The stalkers are referred to as bolos, or be on the lookout, and the bolos are all banned from Facebook property. No one is allowed to take unauthorized photos of Zuckerberg or his office at Facebook HQ, and any unsolicited gifts will not be opened by him. Well, that's smart. Zuckerberg is not the only tech billionaire to require such high levels of security. In 1998, Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates had a cream pie thrown at his face. He survived. Uh, I don't know. Would you want to be that rich? Certainly not that rich if you're that hated, right? I I guess all that security is sleep a little bit better at night, but aren't you worried about your family 24-7? When do you get to go back to just sort of normal life? I guess you can't. But an escape chute, that is cool. I want to see that. I want to, do you think he practices it and, and just jumps down the chute and says, does it, does it shoot him right into the open sunroof in a car? Oh man, my mind is spinning with all the possibilities. I'll have to uh, think about that more on my own time as you will as well. Thank you for listening. Download, subscribe, comment, and like. I love the feedback and interaction. Tell a couple friends. Get the ZabeCast app. It's absolutely free. Premium subscribers, go to zabe.com slash premium and get Fridays included with your Monday through Thursdays absolutely free. 
Now get on out there. Go play on a slide in a playground and pretend you're Mark Zuckerberg. And we will see you next time. The most wonderful time of the year is absolutely here. March Madness. Oh, yeah, we're all going to have our brackets and we're going to have our office pools, and that's fine. But don't you want to bet on these games? Of course you do. I don't have a bookie, Zabe. I I don't know where to bet on them. Oh, yeah, you do. MyBookie.ag. That's your bookie. Sitting at your office desk thinking, I'm already out of my tournament pool. No, no, no. You're never out of anything with MyBookie and the tournament. Bet the next game. Bet whatever you want. Look for an upset. Look for value. Lay some points. This takes March Madness to a whole new level. Of course, we're still going to do all the traditional stuff, but now bet on the games directly. They've been in business for years, my bookie, and they're growing like wildfire. The best part is they pay out fast. So when you call that 12 over 5 upset, don't just walk with your sheet around the office saying, look, I called it. Show them your cash that you got at mybookie.ag. MyBookie will match your deposit with a bonus if you use promo code ZABE at mybookie.ag. That's promo code ZABE to get your deposit bonus at mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid only at MyBookie.